This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Golden Edge listeners. I want to take 30 seconds to introduce you to a new podcast from the Review Journal called Critical Condition, Accounts from 1 October. It's a five-part series sharing the powerful stories of two Las Vegas officers who responded to the scene of the 1 October shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. You can find it wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Just search Critical Condition Accounts from 1 October or visit ReviewJournal.com backslash podcasts for more information. Now, on to Golden Edge. Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. We certainly have meetings about what Vegas does well. Uh, one of the big keys tonight for us to be able to break pucks out because they're a good four-checking team. You let them start cycling around, they're dangerous. So, you know, I thought our D were moving their feet well and, and escaping that first guy, and that was part of our game plan. And also getting on top of their D. You know, when Schmidt's out, it's a little different look for them. He's a good puck mover, so we've got to make sure we get some turnovers in there and we're able to do those couple of things and still stay within what we try to do every night. What is up, everybody? Golden Edge podcast time here from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Adam Hill, Ben Goats. I'm back. I've not been here for a while, but it's good to be back. Ben. It's good to have you back. I don't know if that's true, but I hope that... Uh, you I, know, missed your, I, can... I missed your energy. I missed your spirit. That's very nice of you to say. I mean, we still see each other, but just not here eh. in the in the luxurious podcast studios of the Las Vegas Review Journal. And make sure that you like, subscribe, share, comment, do all those things wherever you find us so that everybody else knows how much you love our podcast. And thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. Uh, Golden Edge podcast is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. So let's get into it, Ben. It is... Been a good start for the Golden Knights, but it was kind of a little bit of a setback against the Boston Bruins on Tuesday night as we're recording this. We're kind of looking back on the first loss of the season, and it wasn't it wasn't a terrible game. I think you you know you play a close game against uh, a team that was in the Stanley Cup final last year. Um, on the surface, it doesn't look so bad, but I think if you look at some of the details, there were some troubling aspects of that game. Yeah, definitely. There are things the Golden Knights need to clean up, which I'm happy to talk about. It's cool to talk about it now. We're giving you guys a second episode this week just because it was a big game on Tuesday night. We recorded earlier. We're going to try to get you podcasts Wednesday, if at all possible, but because we had the uh, big game for the Golden Knights on that Tuesday, we recorded an earlier one, and so now we're here to break down this Bruins games where, yeah, I think the biggest issue for the Golden Knights and Coach Jorgalant said it after the game. He said it again today. Is like they just gave the puck away. I mean, too many turnovers, especially from their defensemen. Um, as he said, three of their goals, all three of the Bruins' even strength goals in that four-three loss, came right off the Golden Knights' sticks. Derek Englund had a turnover along the boards. Shea Theodore had a attempted dump in that got intercepted by David Pasternak, and Nick Holden made a. Bad pass that kind of got intercepted, broken up, and led to a Bruins goal. And so that's not a great sign for the Knights, especially with Nate Schmidt, probably their best puck mover 
on the back end gone. And that was interesting that Bruins coach uh, Bruce Cassidy, we put off the top of this podcast, basically said like, hey, they don't have Nate Schmidt. Our game plan going in was to pressure those defensemen to see if we could generate turnovers in the offensive zone. They did that twice, which led to goals. And then they have the neutral zone turnover from Theodore. And boom, Bruins win. Now, if you clean up all those turnovers, are you guaranteed to beat a good team like the Bruins? No, because they're really good. And I think they're going to be one of the best three teams in hockey again. But that's something that's got to get cleaned up for the Knights. Yeah, and I think it was interesting. First of all, it's very interesting that he said it. I, I think that's the biggest thing. We never hear any kind of strategic commentary really from the Golden Knights side. Yeah, Cassidy's great. And you very rarely hear it from really any coaches. But this was a, a spot where he wasn't even specifically asked. It was just, hey, what went well for you guys tonight? And, you know, Boston's coach decides to say, hey, without Nate Schmidt, they can't, you know, they have a tough time moving the puck out. We knew that if we pressured them that we could force some turnovers, we could do this. And it's kind of a, a blueprint for other teams. Now, it's easy to say it, and I'm sure every team looks at it and says, yeah, that's what you want to do. It's another thing to go out and implement it. But I think it's certainly some cause for concern for the Golden Knights if if this is just out there. If the blueprint is out there and everybody knows it and there's not anything you can do about it. So they have to figure out how to counter that. I mean, that that's the next step in this because not everybody's, as I said, not everybody can do it to you. But if this is the plan, you're going to have to make something happen until Nate Mick gets back. And even after that, you know, people know like, hey, you can force turnovers on this team. You can keep them in their zone and and you can convert on them. And that's going to be an issue. Yeah, I think the key is for the Golden Knights just to, I mean, clean up their little mistakes. As Coach Gerard Gallant said today, like some of the defensemen were just trying to make plays that they can't make. I thought and that I th- was interesting, too, that, that he made that comment to say maybe they're trying to do too much. And, hey, you're not Nate Schmidt. You're just a guy that makes the simple pass and just do that. Don't you don't even though the their their game plan is is to you know move the puck and listen. This is everybody's game plan. Get the defenseman to move the puck up, play fast, everything else. But if you're not capable of doing that, you just have to simplify what you're doing and and just make the easier pass so that you're not trying to do too much. And I think we saw that with Derek England. The Derek England one I think was particularly uh troublesome for the golden knights because they had all the momentum in the world now and he had to be fair he had time and space like he was not being he was pressured a little bit from behind but i mean bergeron kind of comes out of nowhere to jam up the puck against the wall and take it but england had time to get his head up and potentially make a decent pass and he just didn't see bergeron coming yeah or didn't see that the angle he was trying to pass to mark stone was closed off it was not great and it was such a quick start for the knights going up to nothing getting the crowd and and the enthusiasm that was inside the building for that big game yesterday and then it really kind of drained the energy out of out of the place and then the bruins get one they get the equalizer and then they really come out flying in the second period and again more turnovers lead to more goals and you know they've got to get that cleaned up, and it's not just a matter of Nate Schmidt coming back. Whenever he does uh, eventually come back, that will help things. But you've got to make sure all of your defensemen are cleaning that up. You can't have that happen. And today, you know, talking to some of the forwards as well, they said, "Hey, it's it's all it's on us. We have to do uh, our job better." But yesterday, I thought it really stood out that the defensemen struggled. Yeah, and it's interesting, Golan's comment that is because of what we know Nate Schmidt means to this lineup, not just as a good player, but how he kind of rounds it out. What we heard last year when they started 8-11-1 when he was on a suspension was when Nate Schmidt came back, not only did he give them a really good defenseman, he gave them just balance throughout their lineup of everyone was in the right role for them. No one was stretched. And then last night you see, okay, Schmidt's out. Shea Theodore all of a sudden has to be put on that number one pair with Braden McNabb to go up against, you know, probably the best line in the NHL in Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marchand. And what does he do? He has a really bad turnover, 
that leads to a goal. And so I think that's where you see guys that are being pushed a little bit and trying to kind of do a little bit too much. I mean, Nick Holden had that turnover. He's playing on the second pair now after being a third pair guy most of last year. And of course, Nick Haig, who looks skittish, I thought, at times yesterday, is just playing in the NHL for the first time ever. So he's being pushed into a new spot against, you know, some really good players. And that's tough for him on that first goal after England's turnover. All of a sudden, Nick Hag is one-on-one with Brad Marchand, and that's a hard spot for anyone to be in, yeah. but let alone a rookie, and so he kind of didn't know quite what to do, and of course, Marchand fires off a pass to Pasternak that goes in the net. So it's interesting on a number of different levels of they got to figure it out. These defensemen have to kind of play their game as much as that cliche might yeah. cause people to roll their eyes, but they have to play kind of within themselves and within their capabilities because, I mean, we know... The Knights have the forward to make plays on their own. Yeah, They have the speed to generate chances. And then if they can do that, as long as they don't make too many mistakes on the back end, they're going to be in pretty much every game. Yeah, for sure. And and it's something, again, it's got to get cleaned up. But you also, you also realize that not every team is going to have the explosiveness to take advantage of those mistakes at the, at the pace and at the rate that the Bruins did. Or at the depth. I mean, the Bruins yeah. have four really good lines. I thought their third line with uh, Charlie Coyle was really good last night. Uh, their fourth line checked hard, I thought. I mean, the Bruins, there's no off shifts when you play against the Bruins. Uh, they're about to play Arizona uh, as we're recording this uh, tomorrow on Thursday. I think you, there's some off shifts against the Coyotes. <laughs> Spoiler alert to what my thoughts on the Coyotes are. They, Shots they do not, fired at the Coyotes' depth. They do not have quite the depth of Bruins. I don't think that's a hot take. Uh, a team that has not made the playoffs in like seven years versus the maybe Stanley this, Cup maybe runners. This is the year. It could be. I think it might be. But I just don't think they have the depth the Bruins by do. The, by the way, while we're on that, um, how bad is San Jose? And oh, and I, four. I think it's there. I mean, yes, they're all turning 40. to the savior, 40 year old Patrick Marlowe. You are what your record is. And I guess you're, you're on four. But I, you know, I talked to some people just before the season that were really, really, really down on San Jose. And I kind of scoffed and said, yeah, could they take a step back? Sure. But they're still they still have elite talent, especially, you know, when you've got guys like Burns and Carlson that are going to be on the ice pretty much the entire game because you've got two different defensive pairs there. Uh like that's that's an elite level of defenseman. Then you've got a ton of talent up front. Now I know they've got some injuries and some other things, but I think you don't want to overreact to four games. But I think you start to say, I don't know if this team is any good this year. It's pretty troubling, though. Uh, in fairness to the Sharks, they've played the Knights twice. We think the Knights just might be better than them. Yeah, and they've played the Predators once, and I picked the Predators to win the Central Division. Let's not talk about the fact that I picked the Sharks to win the other division in the Western <laughs> exactly. Conference. Exactly. That was a great call on my part, at least looking like that through four games. But like they have a lot to clean up. And the fact that they think that going to Marlowe just four games into the season, and as we're recording this, I believe he's playing their next game, that shows you that they're in a tough spot. And now desperate. they've got two old forwards, of course, and Joe Thornton uh, along with Marlowe on there, that they are really going for it because it just doesn't seem like they have any other options in their mind other than like we got to get this turned around because we don't know what we're going to do if we don't yeah and i'm very interested to see how that you know how that affects the rivalry if san jose is not good and if it's if it really kind of detracts from 
that sense of like, hey, it's cool. The Knights and Sharks at the top of the division, and you know Calgary snuck in there last year. Like this is this is a battle of the two elite teams out west. And if San Jose's not there, yeah, they only play twice again anyway. Yeah, it's fair. Fair enough. They're but done by the uh, end of 2019. You know, weird scheduling quirk. I almost felt. I almost felt almost bad for them in a way. Yes, they show the Sharks score up on the scoreboard, and the crowd just goes nuts at T-Mobile. And I'm like, At this one—that's a winless team. Like you're just piling on. Like, you don't have to be mean about it. Oh, I—that's not the last time we're going to see that. <laughs> I know, and I—I I don't think it's mean either. I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be there'll be a lot of happy fans at T-Mobile if they show Shark scores throughout the year. Now, that's not to say they can't turn it around. Of course they can. It's very early in the season, but uh, we will see how. Uh, that rivalry continues to grow if, if the Sharks are not uh, playing at an elite level. The Golden Edge Podcast will be right back. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. A lot of other things going on with the Golden Knights besides just the turnover issues yesterday. And let's also point out they're, you know, they're still 2-1, still a very good team. It was just some troubling signs that they have to uh, kind of get worked out. There was another potential issue that we kind of learned about today uh, out at practice that kind of came from out of nowhere. If you've been noticing on the top line when they're out on the ice, it is Jonathan Marcheseau taking the faceoffs and not William Carlson, the center. Kind of a weird little uh, changeup. And Gerard Gallant today kind of just threw in, I've been lying to you guys for four weeks. There's an issue. Like, where did that come? What was that about? That was incredible. Well, so when we noticed this late in the preseason, I believe uh, it was another reporter who asked Gallant about it. And he said when Marshall was basically taking all the draws for that line, oh, it's a reaction to the NHL's new faceoff rules. And we just want to give Marshall a look there. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, you haven't been following our coverage if you're not aware, by the way, because I wrote about this. Uh, teams can now choose which face-off dot they want to start a draw on in a couple different situations. The big one being the first face-off of a power play. The Golden Knights can basically say, like, we want to take our first power play face-off on the right dot or the left dot. They can choose. It's up to them. And so Gallant mentioned, like, oh, we want uh, Jonathan Marshall to get at least a look when he's doing these and so we can kind of game plan for the regular season. And when that first happened, I was kind of like, okay, um, Jonathan Marshall is, I believe, a right hand uh, shot where William Carlson is a left. So theoretically, there is like kind of a difference between what effectiveness they should have on each side. So maybe they think, okay, Jonathan Marshall on, I believe it would be his left, might be better than William Carlson on his right. And maybe that sets up your defenseman better. You know, there's a number of different strategy things that might go into it. Obviously, once the regular season started and it's just playing five on five and they're doing it, you have some questions. Not only that Jonathan Marshall is doing it, but William Carlson is option number three to take faceoffs on that line. Because at one point yesterday, Marshall went to take the faceoff. He got kicked out by the ref, which of course happens pretty frequently during games. And Riley Smith jumped in to take the faceoff. So they really are avoiding Carlson kind of taking faceoffs at all costs right now, which Gallant, yeah, termed it a quote, issue yeah an today. issue so we, we've gone from we've gone from injuries being either upper body or lower body or day-to-day or week-to-week or month-to-month to now even more vague there's an issue so we don't we know all that have it. issues adam <laughs> we so many some more than others uh, we're we're conceding that for sure but 
it, I mean, we're assuming it's an injury issue. That really could be all. I don't think it's a mental issue stopping him from taking faceoffs. I assume it's an injury, and maybe it would he's got have the yips. Be, maybe he's John Lestering it. <laughs> he just can't so draw Rick his hands Ankeel, back anymore. Yeah, Rick Hankiel move. Uh, I, I have to assume it's an injury. It has to be hand or wrist, right? I mean, we're we're speculating a lot on this, but we have to with Golden Knights injuries because they never say anything. It has to be a hand or a wrist issue. And they're pretty hush-hush about it. Even William Carlson today got asked about it, and he just basically said, like, why aren't you taking face-offs? And he's just like, that's what we decided. <laughs> yeah. You know, clearly he had been talked to of, like, yeah, don't give away the fact that, you know, you've got your hand or your wrist or whatever it might be for him hurt, which is a little ridiculous. Right, but it's also fascinating that they've been covering it for so, covering it up for so long Marcheseau and Carlson both today were just kind of playing it off as, hey, this is what we decided to do. Uh, I'm more comfortable doing it. I liked it. Whatever. They were they were co- coming up with all these elaborate cover stories. And then all of a sudden, Gallant just decides, like, yeah, there's an issue. Like, wh- where did that – I don't even know where that came from. It's just crazy. And so he's clearly been dealing with it uh, since at least parts of the preseason where, like I said, they were, you know, quote, unquote, experimenting because of the new faceoff rule. So I don't know, maybe it happened before the preseason, maybe it happened during the preseason. Who knows? But, I mean, Glenn did mention, like, yeah, I've been lying and I would like him to take face-offs again because, you know, Jonathan Marshall is trying his best, but he's not great at it. No. I mean, when William Carlson is not great at it either, but he's certainly better. Yeah. He's about a 46% career uh, face-off winning percentage guy. Marshall's like a 43 I mean, he's doing actually well so far. Marshall has won 54% of his faceoffs so far. So they haven't really been stung by it yet. Yeah. Hasn't really hurt them at all. But you would imagine in the long run, like, it's not going to go well. Like, Jonathan Marshall is not going to win 54% of the faceoffs all year. He's going to regress back down to his career average. And that could end up kind of hurting that line, which is off to a really good start. Yeah, they've they've looked really good. Obviously, Riley Smith uh, with a few goals early on here. Uh, he's playing well. And, I, you know, talking to all of them today just about where they feel they are, I don't think, you know, Riley Smith is one that's never going to be like, hey, we're playing great. We're out of, he, was, he said, hey, it fe- we feel comfortable. We're, we're playing well. Uh, but I thought, you know, you heard a lot from Marcia So saying, yeah, we feel like we did year one. And it's very early. Like, you don't, you know, you can't really get a, a sense of how they're going to be all season. But they certainly look like they're playing more comfortably and they they look like they're playing faster, and that's what they kind of talked about today. They they look to be in a real rhythm right now. Yeah, William Carlson's like, we are for sure playing faster. And then I followed up like, why? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> There's no idea how they all of a sudden got fast. He's like, ah, maybe we dropped a couple pounds in the off season. Maybe they all just went on you know diets together. Who knows? But they are playing faster. They feel they're playing faster. It certainly looks that way. Do you feel you're writing faster? No, no. That's that's okay. never going to change. Okay, well that's. That makes sense. I mean, I, I wasn't doing furious finger workouts in the off season. Just be like, oh, I got to get those words per minute up. Maybe you should. Maybe next off. Maybe season? I'm slacking. Yeah, maybe next off season. To the we'll... upper management that listens to it, I apologize for not <laughs> oh taking my, my off season regiment seriously enough. Maybe we can do a podcast on improving our words per minute or something like that. If the first line continues to play the, as fast as they are, we can continue to to work on our games and writing faster. So we'll see how that plays out. But I mean, they they are they are succeed they are succeeding though i mean i think they're not only are they playing well they're getting rewarded for it and yesterday you could you could just see while the bruins first line was incredibly potent and incredibly dangerous i thought the golden knights first line still played really well they they i thought they dominated their uh play on the ice when they were out there and 
Marshall so said today, I don't even feel like we were in the D zone at all yesterday. They played a lot in the offensive zone. Yeah, I mean, great goal by Riley Smith where Jonathan Marshall digs the puck out of the corner, wins a puck battle, throws it across the zone, and Riley Smith just roofs it past Tuka Rask. And, I mean, it was impressive how much elevation he got on that puck, like, really quickly. Because if he doesn't get it elevated that much, I mean, Tuka Rask is making that stop. So that was another good goal by them. Riley Smith's off to a hot goal-storing start. Their power play looks really you say good. Goal storing scart. Words are hard. They are. They're so hard to to say. You're see. You're better at typing. You're I'm so much better at typing. That. Yeah. Words are hard. But I really do think that they're off to a really good start. And I think there's just something where they figured out their transition game is just feels so much better than it was last year, where it felt like they were getting clogged down at times, in large part because teams knew, all right. This Golden Knights team is really fast. Their first line let's, let's, loves to get up and transition. We can't let them skate through the neutral zone with a puck. We have to force them to dump and chase. We have to do something to just prevent them from generating odd man rushes against us. And now whatever adjustment they made, like I said, William Carlson was pretty mum on whatever he thinks they're doing differently. That just seems to be back. That kind of quickness, that electricity that that line had in the first year, it just really feels like it's back. Whether that holds up, who knows? Because other teams are going to see that and probably make adjustments again. But it's a good early sign for the Knights. Well, Riley Smith has three goals early on. Uh, do you know who's leading the NHL in goal scored right now as we speak, Ben? One James Neal is your week one NHL goal scoring champion through the first week of the season. James Neal is atop with six goals. Six in three games, including four, uh, as we record this last night, against the New York Hockey Islanders. The hat trick plus one for James Neal in uh, his new team, the Edmonton Oilers. He looks actually really good. Jimmy's back. He's we, back. He is, he's back for sure. The the Golden Knights, uh, you know, one of the standout performers from year one uh, of the Golden Knights, went to Calgary last year, only had seven goals all season in long. Seven he goals in 63 games, and he has six now. Six goals in, in here in the first week of the season as he leads the NHL. And, you know, I, this is, it's fascinating. And if I saw somebody last night uh, taking shots at everyone for following, you know, James Neal and David Perron and some of the guys that left. That's that's interesting to see how these guys go on and do. Eric Howla is really off to a great start in Carolina as well. Uh, but James Neal certainly is a guy that was very popular uh, in the first season here. So I think people do have an interest in how he's doing. And Jonathan Marshall said he texted him after the game last night. Uh, I asked him. Uh, did you see the Edmonton highlights from last night? And he said, you mean the James Neal highlights? That's all it was. And I thought it was interesting. But here was here was what I thought was more intriguing about uh, what Marshall's had to say, and we'll listen to it here. But he said that he's just in a better spot because Calgary was not using him correctly last year, and now he's in a much more comfortable position to just be able to, to score goals. I mean, I think Calgary just didn't get the way James Neal is. I mean, you... You're not going to be uh, getting a lot from James Neal if you expect him to do everything on the ice. He's a guy that's going to complete great players. It was the same thing in Pittsburgh. He was completing Malkin as a great player. So I think if he's able to play with one of those uh, three high skill forward, uh, Hopkins, uh, McDavid, or Dry Saddle, I think James is going to have success. So there's Jonathan Marcheseau on his old friend James Neal. He didn't mention if he if James Neal responded. I'm sure 
I'm sure Jimmy got a lot of texts. Well, I would have texted him if I had known him. Like, four goals, <laughs> yeah. it's a career high for him. Like, it's literally, like, probably one of the best games he's ever played. Yeah, and we'll, fi- we'll find out uh, from Marshall's I'll ask the follow-up that I should have already asked and uh, ask if he got a response back uh, from James Neal. But this is a very impressive start from from Neal. And listen, he's playing alongside Connor McDavid, and that's kind of what uh, Marshall was referring to. Like, hey, you put him with some stars and, you know, put him with some playmakers and he's going to exceed. Uh, succeed. See, I'm bad with words too. So it's difficult. Yeah, it is. Uh, so you know, he's going out there and just playing well, but he he can shoot. He can shoot the puck. That's what he does. And if you don't put him in a position where he has to be a playmaker and he can just finish, that's what he's that's what he's good at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Connor McDavid is one of the best players in the NHL, and his speed just creates so much space for his line mates. And so, if you're James Neal, that's a perfect situation for you. Where you can just kind of sit in open space. Have Connor dance around with the puck, draw defenders, and then slide it to James so he can score. And he's not just scoring at a good rate. Like, we can poke fun at his stats last year, but, like, he set an Edmonton Oilers record for most goals through the first three games of the season. And this is the same franchise that has the aforementioned Connor McDavid, one of the best players in hockey currently. And, oh, yeah, Wayne Gretzky played for them. James Neal is outscoring Wayne Gretzky through three games it's an incredible stat that in no way will ever hold up but it's still impressive to think about uh we're gonna save that in case it does what if he that would has be a, hilarious. a better season than Wayne Gretzky ever had in terms of scoring goals at Edmonton that would be kind of phenomenal if he beats the great one like I will just tip my hat to you James Neal so we, I mean we heard a lot about in the offseason of him getting in much better shape and you know rededicating himself but it's so far it is paying off it is also paying off to play alongside Connor McDavid and at some point, we will see James Neal and Connor McDavid uh, here in Las Vegas. So fans will get a chance. Back in to, the division, yeah, fans will get a chance to uh, to check that out uh, very soon. Although you know they're hoping uh, that they don't win the division because uh, that's all James Neal usually does is is win division titles and score goals. So uh, I'm sure the Golden Knights fans will not want that part of the equation from James Neal. But we'll see him soon. We'll see the Golden Knights head down to Arizona to play the Coyotes in Glendale. Uh, and then back home on Saturday against Jimmy Neal's old team, uh, the Calgary Flames. So they'll be coming to town and uh, not off to a fantastic start are the Flames. Uh, struggled yesterday against the Kings, so they'll be coming in to T-Mobile on Saturday. We'll tell you all about that next time on the podcast. But we really thank you guys all for tuning in each and every week with the Golden Edge. And uh, we'll continue to let you know everything you need to know about the Golden Knights. Check out ReviewJournal.com. Follow Ben on Twitter, Ben S. Goat. Follow oh, myself, Adam Hill, LVRJ. David Chain, LVRJ, I believe, as yep. well. I always forget his Twitter handle, but it's exactly the same as mine, except with his name instead of mine. So follow him as well, and he'll be back with us very soon after the trip down to Arizona. Don't forget to like, share, comment, tell all your friends to tune in to the Golden Edge Podcast, which is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. That'll do it for us. We'll talk to you guys again real soon with the Golden Edge. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, 
only on Showtime.